Hi, this is Malia J, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee Podcast with your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchhart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, from vinyl variants to NFTs inside 2021's Collecting Craze. From Hypebot, what's a record label looking for? Where do we go from here? The case for a new streaming royalty. And from Hypebot, YouTube copyright transparency report misses a lot. We've got these stories, and this is our last episode of 2021. So kick back and relax. Let Jay and I wax poetic on episode number 72 of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, can you believe that 2021 is wrapping up? No, I it's can't. So weird. And this is episode number seventy-two. That's crazy. Yeah, time flies. We we, we say that a lot, uh, but it is darn true. And uh, I am, I you know, and with thinking back when my wife and I were chatting just this morning about, remember Y two K? Y two K was twenty-two years ago. It seemed like it was wow. twenty-two months ago. Yeah, but here we're we are. Everything was just gonna fall apart. That's right. And all the nothing, computers nothing gonna, really happen. Very little really help. A big deal, right? It was kind of uh, not a big thing at all. So, uh, event. thankfully, but we're gonna wrap up this year with uh, with some interesting stories, and yeah. then then get ready for twenty twenty two. And yeah, we're not gonna we miss go. a beat. It's not gonna miss a it's beat. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a fun year. I've been uh, listening to a lot of the uh, predictions. Um, I know Bruce Houghton over at Hypebot has been publishing um, predictions, um, including mine, but also, you know, uh, from a lot of people. Um, I, I put some in there this week in your morning coffee, and it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because if history has taught us anything, it's that there's always something that comes out of left field that we weren't even anticipating. Mm-hmm. And some of the things we think are going to happen maybe won't. And some of the things that uh, we don't think will happen, maybe they will. But it's, you know, the new music industry is so dynamic and it's been so volatile and has been changing, you know, day by day. I mean, we like to joke around that, you know, it's it's changed while we've been having this discussion. So... Uh, it's well, going to be fun to see what happens. In and this new technologies year. and new platforms. And, yeah. you know, I, I remember when uh, back in the day when AOL bought Time Warner. You know, remember that merger? And AOL, it, it was unimaginable that AOL would, would, would end up where they did end up, <laughs> which was right. just, you know, a, a nobody tech company. And... You know that that's the other thing that that is so uh, different, just overall in terms of of business and technology these days, is that yes, you can be a dominant force in whatever kind of vertical you're in, and then you could just be gone in a in a short amount of time. It's it's stunning, yeah. and so you know it, it's. It, I'm not saying that any of these companies that we talk all, you know, every week about is is not going to be around or not going to be as important, but I'm saying it could happen. And in the same token, something new could pop up that suddenly just 
takes over. And so, yeah, it like you said, it's so dynamic, and and I would say, and can be volatile at times. Um, yeah, yeah. I read this piece the other day. I thought it was really interesting where they were talking about like Clubhouse was you know, just the hottest thing for a hot minute. And then, of course, you get copycats. You know, everybody kind of had their version of yes. Clubhouse. And and I do think it's still interesting, um, but it's just not the darling that it once was. So some of these things will come and go really quickly. And, and you and I looked at some of the charts and graphs of configurations of music a while back. And if you look at the last 20 years of music and see how you know, vinyl did its thing and, you know, cassettes and eight tracks and all sorts of things, but you get to digital downloads. It was a blip. I mean, Mm -hmm. we felt like it was around forever, but it really, it was kind of this bridge from physical to digital. People got comfortable with downloading and then they got really comfortable with streaming. And yet we're going to talk again today about vinyl. And like you and I have said over the years, uh, I can't imagine. I, I I could not have predicted that uh, that there would have been a vinyl resurgence like there is. I just never yeah. would. I never saw it coming, and yet here we are talking about albums that have sold in the hundreds of thousands of copies. And yeah. crazy times, Jay. By the way, Jay, the Jay who I just mentioned in in the statement, crazy times, is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is the curator of the Your Morning Coffee newsletter, which you must know is weekly music news for the new music business. And of course, he is a former executive with the Universal Music Group, Sony Music Group, and Warner Music Group. And and it's uh, a groovy guy on top of all of that. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you for that. Uh, the gentleman sitting across from me right now is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. So he brings a lot of uh, his knowledge base and experience to our conversations that I really look forward to uh, every single week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And by the way, we also, since we're introducing each other, we must also mention our sponsors as we wrap up a year with... Uh, wonderful shows that we have done and great sponsors, including TiVo Music Metadata, uh, dedicated to bringing order to the chaos of digital music. TiVo, Meta- <laughs> TiVo Music Metadata <laughs> offers obsessively deduplicated artist, album, and song IDs, expert written editorial content and ratings, verified images, weighted deep descriptors, similar artists, band members, and influences authoritative credits, personalization, discovery, uh, and search APIs, purpose-built solutions for classical music and a global connected car platform linking broadcast radio with streaming. They do a bunch of stuff over there, super important. And if you want to learn more, you can jump over to TiVo.com slash music. Yeah, I can't wait to see what uh, TiVo Music Metadata is going to... uh Unleash in 2022. Um, Your Morning Coffee podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform, and it makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All of the features that you need for a professional website, everything's already built in. Things like a hosting and custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and your merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools, uh, grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com and try it for free. And try for 30 days. Just use the promo code Morning Coffee, all one word, uh, Morning Coffee. And that'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code Morning Coffee. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Owen Davis. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. Speaking of bands in town, over 65 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. The number one artist services platform connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. 
Indeed. So we've got TiVo Music Metadata, Bandzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town. What a wonderful lineup, and we are super stoked and proud ah, to uh, have yes. them help us put the show on. Yes. Yep. Hopefully and with we'll that, have them for another year. And with that, Jay, let <laughs> us jump into the stories. The first one we're talking uh, about is from Billboard Magazine, from Lindsay Havens mm-hmm. over there. From vinyl variants to NFTs inside 2021's collecting craze. And, yeah. you know, when we talk about vinyl, when we talk about NFTs, again, this this is this is collector's stuff. You know, lots of people, yeah. like we talked about, especially with vinyl, it's stunning how many people buy the vinyl, but they don't they don't crack it open. They don't put it on the turntable. <laughs> they want it as right. a collectible piece. Sure. They might buy it at the merch table and get it signed. They may use the download card, mm-hmm. believe it or not. I don't know how many people actually do that. What was really surprising for me is when I first saw this article, um, there's a photo of labels that go on albums, right, at the right. very top. And I just read the, uh, the caption. It said, Independent Record Pressing, photographed on May 20th. And I went, wait a second. Oh, that's Sean Rakowski's uh, pressing plant that uh, he runs in New Jersey. So I I got really excited about this piece because I hadn't really thought of NFTs in the same, uh, you know, ballpark as vinyl. But you're right. I mean, NFTs, we won't get too deep into that. uh, But, you know, you're really, you know, it's bragging rights. Right. You You own this digital asset. And somebody else may have that same digital asset, but yours is designated as, you know, the real one or the original one or however they want to designate it. And it's provable on on the blockchain. So, yeah, it's kind of uh, bragging rights and, and fans can do that with vinyl. Right. We talk about how br- uh, vinyl is a premium product now, um, maybe not what it was in the old days. And. I was just thrilled to see that, you know, Sean was mentioned in this um, piece because uh, we have a Your Morning Coffee um, news group. And there was some discussion this week about vinyl and how much easier it would be if we just went back to black vinyl. It would it would really help to kind of get some of these things moving along because it takes so much time to break down the equipment and do all these color variants. And it's not just one or two, it's like sometimes five, six, seven, eight different variants, you know, and when I say variant, you know, like one may be green vinyl, one may be splattered, one may be something else. So you have to kind of break down the machines and and clean that stuff. And it takes a lot more time. But my response to that was, yeah, that could probably help the bottleneck a little bit but you know that's never going to happen no you know since it's moved into sort of the collectability phase by the way before we before i jump into that you know one of the numbers on here that just kind of stunned me it was in the first first paragraph of the article and it actually it said uh, uh of course the, the the surge in vinyl dates back to july of last year continued with vinyl unit sales in the u.s growing 81 percent as of october 2021 wow according to mrc data uh and it says that growth now suggests an estimated year-end 2021 revenue for vinyl of a billion dollars and again, wow. if you would have told me that six, five, six, seven years ago, I would have no I laughed you out of the room. There's no, no freaking way. way. Absolutely not. And, but, yet, and with all the problems that they've had with, you know, the supply chain and all those things we talk about, even with all of that and the, the you know, the color variants and all those things we talk about, it's still going to hit about a billion dollars. Unbelievable. And as Sean says in the article, this year the number of variants increased dramatically. Uh, but it was pretty common, uh, before he said it was pretty common to do two or three different variants, and that became three to five variants. And then by mid-year, we had one record where it was 13 different variants. And at that point, I'm just kind of like, what's going on here? And as he yeah. said, you know, it's it's really unsustainable for a lot of these manufacturers to press these multiple-colored variants but you know what they are used kind of like we used to do even in the cd days for specialty product and so walmart wants their own variant target wants their own variant so you've got you know you're using it as a tool basically and and yeah. your customers are and not a, not not the you know not your end customer the collector the the music consumer but your customers the retailers want yeah. these different variants and so yeah that's but here's the problem. Each one of those variants, you know, Sean points out, 
it, it adds about an hour to the turnaround time, right. each one of those. So in the case of that record with 13 different variants, you know that's more than a half a day uh, that's going to be added to that pressing process. So, you know, if we had black vinyl and we didn't have the variants, would that speed things along? Yeah, it sure yes, would, sir. but <laughs> Ain't that, gonna that's not going to happen because, no. as you just mentioned, it's not just that the artists want different color variants for their fans or that the fans want it. Walmart wants a different one. Target wants a different one. You know, and that differentiates them. So I don't see this going away anytime soon. No, they mentioned in the article in July, Billie Eilish offered eight different color variant vinyl versions of her second album, Happier Than Ever. That included retail exclusives for Target, Walmart, and Urban Outfitters, as well as Amazon and independent record stores. In parentheses, it mentions she teamed up with recently. She teamed up with Gucci for a version made from recycled vinyl scraps from all colors of the original pressing, promising in an Instagram caption that each piece is completely unique. A result of all of this, though, is that the album debuted, of course, atop the Billboard 200 with 73,000 vinyl copies sold. 73,000. Uh, isn't that unbelievable? I mean, yeah, 2021, 73,000 73, vinyl copies of an album. Yeah, and it can help things that have been out for a while, too, because the article points out Olivia Rodrigo's Sour, you know, the vinyl didn't come out until three months after it right. came out. Uh, the CD came out in May um, and on streaming platforms, of course. So when the vinyl came out, it helped it kind of rebound to number one on the Billboard 200, and that was available in six different uh, variants. So, you know, it's really popular now. There's a vinyl um, subscription service called Vinyl Me Please, and they told Billboard that almost 100% of its sales were colored or limited additional uh, Right. Releases. Well, and, you know, I, I you can bet that it's also a second and or third and maybe fourth purchase of the same album. You know, it's, it's probably someone is streaming that record already, and then they get the vinyl version. Maybe they want to get maybe they, uh, they want to get another collectible. Maybe they want the one that Walmart has. Right. Um, you know, so it's the gift yeah. that keeps on giving. If you're a completist, <laughs> yes. you have to have all of those. You and I were talking earlier about my my cheap trick vinyl collection from back in the seventies mm-hmm. and eighties, and we were talking about how. One of those albums, I, I have like five copies of because, yep. you know, one of them's a Japanese import. One of them's the U.S. One is yellow vinyl. One's a picture disc. When you're a completist and a total fan of whoever the band is, I can see people going out and wanting to collect all those those variants. Yes, absolutely. Uh, jumping over to NFTs. Now that, ironically, we've seen that skyrocket this year and then kind of cool off a bit so uh yeah. nfts of course and that's just in a in a, in a calendar year <laughs> but nfts are still uh still a happening thing and we had uh nfts from dead mouse and grimes mm-hmm. kings of leon sean mendez uh lots of lots of different ones this year um and, you know, that's not going to stop as we head into 2022. That's going to be, you know, another... Uh, NFTs have often, as it, the article uh, mentioned, have also often been um, kind of a companion to physical merchandise. Yeah. And, of course, all of these things are showing growth well into 2022. So uh, we're going to be talking about these well into next year and the next. So it's pretty yeah. pretty cool and pretty interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of those, those two things together um, but it, it does make sense. Now, look, NFTs still aren't ready for prime time. I mean, most people don't understand what an NFT is. I think most people on the street, they're, I, they're getting more and more popular and people are starting to understand what they are. But it's not an easy process to get cryptocurrency and to purchase an NFT and, you know, attach your wallet to a marketplace. But there are so many cool platforms out there that are automating that process and making that easier. So, you know, as I said in my predictions um, on HypeBot, I think there's going to be more uh, NFTs, but I don't think they're going to be the super get-rich-quick NFTs that we've seen in the past, that it's really going to be more of a standard part of a release cycle, part of that drop. That's right. what I'm, that's right, what right, I'm right. betting. We'll but see like, right. like many of the things we talk about, that's just another arrow in the quiver of for artists yes. or, or labels or whatever to, to maximize revenue. And yeah, yeah. 
It's going to cool. happen. It's going to happen. Uh, I really <laughs> like this, this next article. This is from Hypebot. Um, yes. And this, this conversation has, has been had from those of us that have worked in the business or work in the business going back probably since the business began, which is what's a record label looking for these days? And yeah. surprisingly, it's not that much different than what they were looking for in 19 or in yeah 10 years ago 20 years ago 25 years ago um it's 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 a little different but not that much so no it's it's not that different now here's the thing we have access to data at our fingertips and people are inherently lazy so they'll look at your social footprint or they'll go to you know spotify and see how mm -hmm. many streams a certain song has by the way this this was written, uh, it's a guest post on Hypebot by uh, my friend Tony Van Veen, um, who works at Disc Makers and uh, uh, runs their Disc Makers blog. You know, he's super knowledgeable about the, the business and a uh, really great guy. And I found this super interesting because it reminded me of um, an A&R guy we had on the Music Biz Weekly podcast. And I just asked him, with all this data that you have at your fingertips, how do you discover new artists to sign uh, to the, to the mm -hmm. label. And this is pre COVID. And he said, well, I look for a lineup around the block to see him play. Right. <laughs> I thought he's not looking at, you know, the data platforms to see what's bubbling up, you know, or, or looking at TikTok, which a lot of people do. They look to see, you know, what are the trends on TikTok? He was looking more for something that has longevity. And I'm not saying that when something hits big on TikTok, um, it doesn't have longevity, but it doesn't always. And sometimes you need to learn to walk before you run. And the problem a lot of people have is that if you get it handed to you too quickly, some of these artists have never played a live show. Right. They've never toured. Mm -hmm. um, they've never played a real instrument. I was talking to a friend of mine who went into the studio with a, a TikTok star, and that person had never played anything other than a laptop and was blown away when they brought in a real engineer and you know real instruments and musicians so it, it's super interesting this this whole thing about i mean do you need a record label and, and tony has articles about that as well and youtube videos uh, you know one of them is should you sign a record deal or stay independent that was uh recently and then one of them that he wrote i think for hypebot was the pros and cons of a major rate uh, label record deal mm-hmm and look, it's not for everyone. I think in the old days, it was the only path. You know, you would get popular locally, then regionally. You'd get something on the radio, and hopefully you'd get uh, a record deal. There's so many different ways, whether it's TikTok or Twitch or just being independent. You can be successful. It just depends on how you measure success. Um but I had a friend of mine who was kind of bashing labels say, well, you know, they're just a bank. And I said, well, yeah, in some ways they are a bank, but I, I wouldn't bash labels because they're investing in all of these artists in, in hopes that one of them will, you know, bring home the bacon. And they, you know, this business has like a 93% failure rate, yep. <laughs> depending on how you look at it. Well, and, and you know, I think in many ways... Um even going back to our earliest days uh, in working for labels, um, they weren't necessarily great at at, at 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 taking an artist from the very beginning and bringing them up. What they were really good was taking a, 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 a band or an artist that had had already some momentum and then amplifying that momentum in a way that that it would have been difficult for that artist to do. So, so you know, there there were other cases, and I've seen it, especially because you know I, I started at at the uh, in the Warner family, and that that had a, a deserved reputation for 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 artist development, and, and I did see it happen uh, from time to time. But still, by and large, it was artists that had independent album out that were already kind of moving a little bit. And then they, mm. they were able to kind of really take that up, take it to the next level and push it out and really, you know, sure. get, get records out into the big retailers of the, of the day. So, you know, that's, it's kind of always been like this, but yeah. Yeah. And labels were always really good at making sure that whether it was an in-house publicist or not, they mm -hmm. would make sure that there was uh, some professional working publicity and, 
and they were looking for sync opportunities and they would look at touring opportunities and they had the money to, you know, advertise um, and, you know, support the band with some of the things like music videos. And so there was a lot of money that were pumped into some of these, but you're right. When something started to catch fire, that's when they would throw the fuel onto it. And some of these labels have better track records than others. I mean, you look at the Republics of the World and Atlantics and Interscopes. I mean, you would think that everything they touch turns to gold. But uh, as Eddie Rosenblatt so famously said one time, ours is a business of illusion and bullshit. You know, because sometimes you look at a label that they're very, very successful, but they, they have some failures too. It's just that they... They learn fast, and they move to put the fuel on those things that are burning. I remember when I was working in the Warner Music Group, there was um, uh, an album by Faith No More that was that was the uh, a, a great great album, and that thing was you know I think they that was their first album as I recall with that singer, and uh, it, it was bubbling under and selling really well for almost a year. And the manager, a guy named Warren Entner, who himself was a, was an artist at one point, uh, you know, he kept he kept trying to encourage the product manager to 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 reach out to Lenny Warnker, the president, to reach out to MTV to say, okay, this thing is really happening. We want we really need a big ad of this video. They, they were getting spins in in the specialty programs at MTV, and and I remember seeing that that back and forth well we're not quite ready yet not yet and then finally it it got to a point where it was it was selling really pretty darn well and finally that that those conversations started to be had and then the 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 call went into lenny put the call into to uh mtv and mtv just started banging it in heavy rotation and man that thing just exploded and that's Mm. something that you cannot do as an independent artist that's something in those days you know even if you were on a on a happening in label you probably couldn't make that happen but that was a good example of of a major label picking up something that was that was already happening but really you know making it a priority making it a priority exactly and we watched that all the time because there would be you know a dozen artists from a, a label released in a quarter and everything couldn't be a priority they had to follow which ones were getting good publicity which ones were getting radio airplay you know, which ones had some drivers. And it brings me to a point in this article uh, that Tony wrote, and that is he says, you've got to make the record label come to you. Yes. And I believe that. Um, I had one of my artists who I really thought would be a good fit for New West. And so I reached out to friends of mine. Hey, do you know, you know, some people over, I knew some people at New West because I'd worked with them a little bit when they were under the Warner ADA Mm -hmm. umbrella. And, so I had a friend of mine connect me um, with their head head of A&R. And uh, he basically said to me, yeah, we're aware of this band. We're aware of them. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not stupid. They know what's a good fit for their label. And they're watching um, bands to see. And, and Tony points out in this article, too. You watch to see how they're trending, not just what their social footprint is or how many yeah. streams they've accumulated, but... Is there growth? Is there a trend? Are they, you know, growing their audience? Are they playing better festivals each year? Are they getting accolades? You know, you watch all of those things uh, to see if there's something really special there that's going to have some legs. Well, and and even then, you know, like you were saying with New West, uh, you know, they've got a sensibility of the kind of music they have and they like and. You still have to have a champion. You know, you could have all of those things lined up, uh, but it may still may not resonate with just taste-wise with folks that are at a label. So, it's it's a wild card out there. But you know, one of the things that that he mentioned in the article is, you know, what makes a label think that signing you will make them a profit? Of course, is the principal thing. But well, it's a business, right? It's a business. That's right. That's right. But he said he he lists kind of some sort of five questions a label needs answered in order to be interested in your act. And one of them is, what have you accomplished so far? How many recordings have you released? Social media followers, you know, active mailing lists, the the things that you have been doing on your own. Again, this is starting to build your own story. Um, before they would even jump in. So if you don't have that sort of thing, you know, that those those things are already happening, do you have momentum? 
You know, yeah. are, are you trending in the right direction? Maybe you've done a bunch of this stuff and now you're kind of not trending in the right direction. So, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of different things they're going to be looking for. And then do you have talent? You know, you, they've got to make sure that you've got kind of the goods as an artist and that you're growing artistically as well. And, yeah. And, and that's so, so subjective. It doesn't mean that you have to be a virtuoso um, pianist. Right. There are nope. there is room for bands like the Ramones, as we Absolutely. like to say. But the Ramones were also very good at their game. Yeah. And they did it very well. So when it says got talent, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the best musician, singer, songwriter on the on the block. In fact, I would argue that some of my favorite singers, you know, Tom Petty, Bob Dylan, whoever, Neil Neil Young, aren't the greatest singers in the world, but they don't sound like anybody else. So right. when it says got talent, that can be taken uh, different ways. Right, exactly. And and here's, you know, the big one, and, and boy, haven't we had this conversation with artists before. Are you ready to work hard? You know, for a lot of groups, they think that getting signed is the pinnacle. Guess what? That's the beginning. That's, yeah. that's the beginning. <laughs> Congratulations. Now get to work because yeah. then, the, then the real hard work begins. And, you know, it's a little bit potentially easier because you've got a team behind you, hopefully. Um, but not always. <laughs> <laughs> not always yeah. uh yeah. so you know and You're then absolutely but, right right and of course he, they also he also talks about you know if you're having a unique angle but then you know the the, the thirty thousand dollar question is ultimately if you've done all this hard work you've done so much of the work yourself is getting signed right for you mm, yeah maybe maybe not you know if you it depends i have i have an artist that didn't want uh well actually they came off of a major label um they didn't want that again because of the fact that they could generate enough revenue to record their own mm -hmm. album with top producers and release the music they didn't need the financial support of a label what they needed was the priority of a label right. meaning you know are they going to work this with their radio team and make it a priority and get it on the radio so um, and then also with streaming, you know, a lot of these uh, we we call them the major labels, but a lot of these major um, music groups, you know, we ADA, you know, Sony, Universal slash, you know, EMI, they a lot of them own a piece of DSPs. Warner owns a piece of Deezer, you know, a lot of these own a piece of Spotify. And so they have a first seat at the table on some of this and i'm not saying that they can get crappy music added to playlists but just like you were talking about you know when it becomes a priority right mm -hmm. um there's only so many artist releases each week and these labels have and distributors have to prioritize those for the dsps and you want to be you know one of those priorities and when you mentioned do you have a unique angle you know he mentioned you know guar and the rock band kiss I don't think you need to go that extreme, but if you are, um, if you have integrity and you are yourself, people know the real deal. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter if it's Americana or classical or heavy metal. We've all been there. When you go to see an artist play and they're legit, you know, when they're playing what they believe in, it just exudes that integrity. Absolutely. But by the same token, you know, you when you do sign with a label, and I think I've told on on the show the story of Jennifer Trinan, super talented artist, uh, singer songwriter that got signed big bidding war, got signed to Warner Warner Brothers or Reprise, and uh, had the misfortune of having her album come out the same week as Alanis Morissette, and nobody expected the Alanis Morissette record to be a be a success, but it was. And, you know, all of the attention, all of the money, all of the focus went to that Alanis Morissette record, which was a powerhouse album. I mean, it sold multi-millions of copies. And Jennifer Trinan made a fantastic album, but she just happened to, you know, again, these labels have priorities, and those priorities change based on on the pull in the marketplace. And so... Timing. It, 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 timing. Timing. Exactly. <laughs> so good article. Really fun to think about all yeah, of these things. Yeah, thank you, Tony. That, was, that yeah. was really cool. And I think kind of the takeaway is, you know, you got to make the la label come to you. Um, and you may not 
it, a label may not be right for you. It depends on what your goals are. So yeah, great piece it, in Hypebot. Absolutely, absolutely. So the next one we're going to talk about is from uh, the Dada drummer Almanac, Almanac, uh, and it's an article. Uh, where do we go from here? The case for a new streaming royalty. And mm. uh, they actually, yeah. there's also a link to the uh, the remastered uh, band album Cahoots, which just came out with a remix in it too. So it grabbed my attention immediately with the uh, with that. But uh, you know, again, this is going to be this has been a, the maybe the biggest story we've talked about all year, and it's going to be a continued big story in 2022. And that is basically. You know how 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 can artists make more money, and how can they uh, and songwriters and, yeah. and songwriters absolutely. And um, this is I, I'm not I wasn't familiar with this uh, with this uh, um, the Dada drummer. No, Almanac. yeah, not well, at all. I wasn't either. And it says it's by Damon Krakowski. And the first thing I thought of when I saw this is th there's a band that I really like called Dada. I remember that, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is their drummer. And I looked, and it's not. Um, it's <laughs> It's not their drummer, so I was a little a little bummed out. But it was a really great article, and he starts off by saying, you know, uh, a little over a year ago, the UMAW launched its Justice at Spotify campaign, um, and maybe the most fundamental lesson I've learned is that advocacy and organizing are the long game, right? So the UMAW is the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. Yes. And I, I thought this was really interesting um, that he's – He's actually saying this is going to take some time, mm -hmm. but I think something you and I always touch on when we start talking about how um, songwriters are remunerated. See, I pronounced it right for the you first did. time since that, yes. that listener actually told me how to pronounce it. Remunerate. Um, we, we want songwriters and we want artists to make more money from streaming. Uh, we do, but it's going to take a little bit of time. We talk about the CRB every week, Copyright Royalty Board. Um, I think that this piece was really fascinating for me in that they were showing you that there's been some wins, that it's not just, you know, we want more money and nothing has happened. So he talks about this thing, hashtag justice at Spotify, mm -hmm. right? The UMAW, uh, Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. And they talk about, you know, well, what, what's happened in the last year? What have we done? Well, 30,000 musicians, allied workers, and music fa fans from all over the world have signed on uh, to this movement. So that's pretty cool, 30,000. Um, we delivered our demands in person to Spotify headquarters in 15 different cities, on an organized day of action. And then the third thing was we forced Spotify to respond to our demands. And despite them trying to discredit our campaign, we remain in control of the narrative. We are very proud to share that the unification of music workers around the globe has created enough of a stir to catalyze the, f the following exciting developments. And I'll just read through just a couple of these. Um, the UN uh, released its study, which we talk about all the time. The UK performed a full-blown parliamentary inquiry. Right? We talk mm -hmm. about that all the time. Uh, through the organizing efforts, pushing members of Congress on this issue, Spotify was sent an oversight letter from the House Judiciary. So I guess the bottom line is it's not like nothing's happening. It's just that in the music industry, these wheels move really slowly. Yes, they do. Um, and we've been doing things the same way for almost 100 years. So the fact that we're actually starting to have these conversations and make progress, I think that's a good thing. Absolutely. They mentioned that uh, that UN report, which is the UN's World Intellectual Property Organization. That's the WIPO, W-I-P-O. They publish a lengthy report, as they say, with a decidedly unsexy and even ungrammatical title, Study on the Artists <laughs> in the Digital Music Marketplace, Economic and Legal Considerations. Um, and as they said, poor marketing aside, this report is dynamite. And he said, and my UMAW comrades and I found it in such important reading that we translated into a more readable English. Uh, they said it took a long so time. But, but they said the payoff is the, the, the UN report argues that we need to create a new type of streaming royalty that is paid directly to artists, including non-featured performers. That's okay. the key. That's a big one. Absolutely. Yep. But, but I think uh, one of the things that is interesting is, is this kind of proposal is actually, uh, it's, it's the, the report sketches out that uh, 
the, 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 this new royalty would be paid in addition to all existing royalties paid to songwriters, labels, artists, etc., yes. and would therefore not reduce anyone's payments and would not interfere with existing contracts. The royalties would be, would be paid out through copyright management organizations, CMOs, such as Sound Exchange. So mm-hmm. what this is is actually not throwing the baby out with the bath bathwater, but it's adding something on top of the existing structure, which which right. I, I had. I, f- I find a really fascinating We haven't concept. been having that conversation. We've no. been taking the current pie and moving yep. the slices around. This is saying, okay, that's all well and good, and we should be looking at that, but this is in addition to that right. and covering things that we haven't really been been talking about. So uh, I think it's great. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, as they say, it's a clever use of an existing system. Um and and it's it, it, it's like I said it's just a, a kind of a clever take on it. it says does not require additional transaction cost as matching and payment information already exists at CMOs does not require renegotiation of licensing agreements or disrupt current licensing practices platforms are already paying similar royalties in certain territories and it recognizes value transfer from all performers to platforms helps to preserve local culture by compensating both featured and non-featured performers. Non-featured. That's that's so yes. key here. Right. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's it's like I said, it would what an interesting take on it and something that I had never considered and I was not even aware of until I until I read this article. So, yeah. Um, as they said, yeah. we've got work to do in 2022, but boy, this is a fascinating kind of approach to it and something yeah. boy, I look forward to kind of keeping an eye on as we head into the yeah. new year. And I just signed up for his, you, right under the story, you can sign up for his uh, newsletter. Um, so I, I encourage people to check this out. Uh, the Dada Drummer Almanac. Yep. Uh, Damon Krakowski. Um, so yeah, check that out. It's in your morning coffee this week. There you go. And our last story, speaking of behemoths, uh, this, is a, this is an article in Hypebot, and it is... The YouTube copyright transparency report misses a lot. Yeah, this was super interesting. It was written by uh, Catherine Trendacosta from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Boy, that's a mouthful. And as we get into it, I just want to start it off by, by something that I kind of pulled out of this that puts it all in perspective. And Catherine says, there is a terrible circular logic that traps creators on YouTube. They cannot afford to dispute content ID matches because that could lead to DMCA notices. And we'll get into all of this in a second. They cannot afford DMCA notices because those lead to copyright strikes. They can't afford copyright strikes because that could lead to a loss of their account. They can't afford to lose their account because they cannot afford to lose access to YouTube's giant audience. Mm -hmm. And they can't afford to lose access to that audience because they cannot count on making money from YouTube's ads alone, partially because content ID often diverts advertising money to rights holders when there is a content ID match, which they cannot afford to dispute. And there's also a, a link in here to this, um, it's called the Copyright Transparency Report, which is what she's referring to. And it's beautiful. And there's there's a ton of information in here. So if you want to really dig deep into this, um, you can. But for those that don't understand content ID, basically, if you upload a video of your, your friend dancing to a, a Beatles song, the moment you try to upload that, Content ID is going to recognize that, and it's going to say, "Nope, um, did you mean to do this? Because this is copyright work, you know, uh, under the Universal umbrella." Mm-hmm. So that's kind of uh, one way of kind of looking at it. You can dispute these claims because sometimes it might be something that's not right. They might they might say, "No, you can't use this," and you're like, "But I wrote that. This is my thing. This isn't somebody else's thing." Um, also, when you have a distributor, for example, The Orchard or InGrooves, um, they're so good at helping with these claims. So mm-hmm. if, if something says, um, well, first of all, when you upload something into a distributor's uh, system, then the content ID should recognize it as being, well, I shouldn't say owned, but part of that distributor's um uh, music, and the reason for that is you, because there are ads placed against videos on YouTube, yep. and you want that money to flow properly. 
Well, and, and you can see, as, as she is pointing out, you know, the, sometimes the worst thing, even if you're in the right, if, God forbid, you have a, a, a clash and everything gets pulled down, trying to put it back up is unbelievably difficult, and it's not fast, and you can't, you, you, you can't get anybody on the phone to have a conversation. It's emails back and forth, and it, this reminds me of a buddy and I, uh, I worked for a company briefly that had uh, an Amazon store, basically, and there was a lawsuit um, in, in one of the products that we were selling, and, you know, Amazon, instead of, 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 um, of kind of trying to determine, you know, the, the, the merits of everybody's case, they, they just took both of them down, and, and that was that. And it's easier that way. Easier that way, and trying to get that back up took weeks absolute weeks and this is the same thing it's like okay this is all well and good that they have all these things and but it, but you do not want to run afoul of them and it's youtube and there it's not like you can just say well i'm just going to go someplace else with my stuff with my content right it, it doesn't work that way they're the only game in town right exactly so here here are the numbers that youtube has released as as what they're saying they have 772 million copyright claims were made through content id yeah, that's through the first half of 2021. That's right, by the, the first way. half. That's yeah, 722 million in six months. Think about that number. I mean, there's not enough hours in the day for somebody to go sort through all of those. So they have to have some automated things in place. Of course, but absolutely. 99 percent of all copyright claims were content ID claims, meaning only one percent were DMCA or other forms of complaint. Uh, six million removal requests were made with YouTube's copyright match tool. Six million removal requests. Uh, fewer than 1% of content ID claims were disputed. That's interesting. Let's pause on that one just yes. for a second. You, the fewer than 1% of content ID claims were disputed. That's pretty amazing. And I'm yes. looking over at the, the PDF that you can download from this article. So that's like 3.7 million uh, total disputes, which sounds like a, a large number in six months, but not out of 722 million no. content no. ID. Yeah. Uh, when they were, 60% of the time the dispute was resolved in favor of those contesting the claims. Wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So YouTube argues that by transferring large sums to music labels and movie studios from internet creators, its ecosystem is... To borrow a phrase, fair and balanced. <laughs> YouTube basically claims that because rights holders use Content ID to make a lot of claims and online creators continue to upload new videos, then it must be working. Hmm. But that, uh, as, as the article points out, that conclusion ignores a few key realities. Yeah. The biggest one... And you. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. You, you're going to jump in there. Well, I was just going to talk about you know some friends of mine who do... You know, they teach guitar online and they have a pretty good following on YouTube. Right. And sometimes, you know, when they're teaching somebody to play the intro to Stairway to Heaven, um, it gets pulled off because yeah. that's that belongs to somebody else. And there are things that you can do with fair use and things that you can't. But all in all, I, I understand what she's saying. You know, this is a there's no other place to go. It's it's this behemoth. Right. And if you don't like the way they do it, you know, tough. Um, but the numbers and, and I think you feel the same way. It seems like the numbers actually are small in that. Yeah, there, there are some issues there. But when you have something as big as, you know, YouTube or Facebook, man, I mean, you, you'd have to have a million people on staff. Yes. To handle all of those issues. Well, and like I said, with, with my Amazon account, it's like, you know, God forbid you get in a sort of a pissing match. And even if you're in the right, trying to prove that you're in the right is really hard when, you, when you're not dealing with, there's no customer service department over there at YouTube for this stuff. You know, it's emails and it's back and forth, maybe if you can get somebody to even email you back. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's, it's YouTube. They are they are the big Kahuna. There's there's nothing. There's another. You can't go somewhere else. And so it's sometimes just easier to just throw it. Away, just say okay, whatever. Let it You're go. Right. Let it go. Yeah. And I think that's what she's pointing out. That that that's just inherently wrong. That you shouldn't have to do no. that. But you know, she's saying that creators have reported. You know that they tell other creators 
you know, if you dispute these things, you know, uh, you could get you could get pulled down. And I think that's the part that disturbs people. Right, 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 right. And that's the last thing in the world you want. Oof. Horrible. So, well, you know, we've this is going to be an ongoing conversation, well into the into next year and beyond. Um, yeah. You know, making uh, YouTube and 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 you know, as you have more than a few times mentioned on the show, Jay, uh, YouTube is by far the big, biggest music service. Yeah, without it, a doubt. sure is. And, and they they are not perfect, and they are getting away by not paying as much as other uh, like services. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen this year. 2022 is coming up, and Lior Cohen is over there, mm-hmm. and we've talked about him on this program. And there's a lot of a lot of smart people um, that I know that work at uh, Google slash YouTube, and they want to have a better relationship with the songwriters, the performers, the labels, the publishers. I think this could be... I think this could be uh, a year of of changes um, because things can't really um, continue uh, the way they are. There's a lot of unhappy people, and I think you run the risk of having somebody come up from out of nowhere and starting um, a competing service. And I know that sounds ridiculous. You're like, well, you know, YouTube's too big to fail, but we thought MySpace was too big to fail and AOL. I mean, and AOL and Facebook uh, to some uh, some people is really older and less cool and less hip uh, than it once was. Um, you know, we talked about Clubhouse, which was the hot darling, you know, for a moment. Um, and I think the technology is still there and is still going to be doing well. And I, I wish Clubhouse well. But I guess what I'm saying is if, if you don't treat people well, uh, maybe they'll go somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, we must wrap up this episode and wrap up this year, Jay. So I, I think I would like to say uh, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for, for tuning into our, our podcast. Yeah, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And I hope uh, we, I know Jay and I both wish for every, every one of our listeners for uh, good health and prosperity as we move into to 2022. And th- we really yeah. appreciate you listening to us uh, every week. That's uh, something that we do not take for granted. And yeah. uh, thanks for our sponsors, our, the good folks over at Banzoogle, the good folks at TiVo Music, Metadata, Hypebot, Bands in Town. Man, we are so appreciative. And uh, and yeah. my brother Jay, uh, man, I couldn't thank you enough. Uh, it's been so ah, fun and looking it, forward it to another so year. It's been so fun. And you know what? It's, this year has just raced by. I can't yes. wait uh, to do the show with you in 2022 because as we say, and we mean it, like, it's there's just this embarrassment of riches of yeah. this this business is changing so fast and so many cool platforms and things that are going on and so keep tuning in um, reach out to us anytime and we promise we'll get back to you absolutely so thanks for listening have a wonderful new year and on behalf of Jay and myself thanks for listening and we'll be back next week with episode number seventy three of the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.